2: This is the best of OutKick, the coverage with Clay Travis on Fox Sports Radio.
3: Two days until the NBA trade deadline and the Anthony Davis drama continues to grow in the city of Los Angeles. We were just talking about it at the end of hour one. I think that Anthony Davis is getting really bad advice here. And and I'm surprised that nobody else, at least not, maybe you guys have heard somebody else pointing it out. I don't understand why Anthony Davis would want to go to a Laker franchise that is mortgaging itself to trade for him when he right now is going to be wedding himself to an aging superstar. And otherwise, there's not a lot of great other talent that's out there. Uh, And let me explain my rationale here. If you have to give up effectively all of the young talent on the Lakers and potentially the draft picks for years to come, and you are signing a long-term deal with the Lakers, Anthony Davis needs to be thinking not about what the next three years of his career are going to look like, but about what the next eight years of his contract are going to look like. And the younger you are, the more difficulty you have looking ahead. Right. This is one of the advantages of age is that when you are older, five years doesn't seem like that long of a time, right? When you have had a little bit of wisdom and you know how fast a year can pass, oftentimes you'll look at what people are doing when they're 18 or 19 years old now. And I say this is a guy who's going to turn 40 in April. And you'll think to yourself, my God, why are you making that decision? You see this all the time in college athletics where a guys like, "Man, I can't I would transfer, but I have to sit out a whole year." And you think about this when you're a kid, a year seems like a long time. Second grade seemed like it took 15 years to be done, right? If you went to college, your freshman year of college, it's like 30 weeks of actual class time, a semester seemed like it took forever. Because your life's not that long. So a year when you're eight is a huge percentage of your overall life, and it seems like it takes a really long time. I remember being a kid in like third and fourth grade, and it seemed like a week took forever. Remember being in a classroom on Monday when you're excited about watching a football game on Saturday or Sunday? Or when you know you got an exciting weekend coming up, your grandparents are coming to town and you're going to get to go to Chuck E. Cheese or something like that. You're sitting there on Monday. It's like, oh, Saturday is never going to get here. And don't even get me started on Christmas. Remember how long it seemed like it took for Christmas to actually get there when you're a kid and then you're an adult and you're trying to keep tabs on everything and you're buying presents like crazy, it's like, I can't believe Christmas is already here. Didn't we just have Thanksgiving? I was just buying these kids presents. Uh, I'm just buying these kids Halloween costumes. It seems like yesterday, and now it's already Christmas. How does it get here so quick, right? I think Anthony Davis is falling victim here to a young man's thinking and his decision to want to go to play for the Lakers. What I mean by that is LeBron James, 34 years old. Body's starting to break down. He missed an entire month plus of the season already. Next year, he's going to be 35 years old. I think LeBron, you may disagree, but I think LeBron is going to decline fairly precipitously over the next few years in his overall abilities. I know he's a freakish athlete. I know we haven't seen very many people like LeBron James, but the amount of games he's had on his knees, on his legs since he got to the NBA at 18 years old, I think LeBron's overall athletic ability is going to start to decline precipitously in the near future. Now, LeBron's smarter. He can see the game because he's older. He's gotten to be a better shooter. He's certainly trying to add into his repertoire a lot more outside shots than he used to take back in the day. But I think Anthony Davis potentially is committing to a superstar that is on the backslide of his career. It's starting to slide on the backside down his uh, overall career projections with LeBron James. And in the process, he's requiring the team that he's going to go to to trade all the good young players that he should want to be playing with. Anthony Davis shouldn't be thinking about next year. He should be thinking about the next five years. And LeBron James is not going to be there with him. So why would you, if you're concerned now about the Pelicans not winning championships, why would you want to go to the Lakers that is giving up all the good young talent they have stockpiled and potentially draft picks as well so that you can be good for two years with the Lakers and then find yourself in the exact same situation except having signed a long-range deal with the Lakers? Doesn't make sense. If Anthony Davis is being remotely intelligent about his overall decision-making, he should go to the Boston Celtics. That's the team that actually is growing and has the good young talent to surround him. If you think Giannis is going to re-up with the Milwaukee Bucks, okay, that could make some sense. If you think the Clippers can go get uh, another big-time piece to put with you, maybe the Clippers could make more sense. I just don't buy the idea that the Lakers is a good destination point For Anthony Davis and I'll tell you this the minute this news broke last week everybody wanted to be like oh wow this is Anthony Davis exerting his power I actually think it's the exact opposite I think Anthony Davis and his representation know that he has almost no power because he still is under contract for another year because the Pelicans have no necessity to trade him at all I think all the public going public did was put pressure on Magic Johnson to make a deal To put pressure on the Lakers to desperately overpay because they know if they wait till the end of the year, then they're going to be in the same position they were in in years past where they've got to make big time moves in order to have a championship caliber team. And the pressure is all ratcheted up. And I'm not sure LeBron James is that great of a GM because I think LeBron James is entirely thinking about the next couple of years. Remember, right now, the Lakers are the number 10 seed. In the uh, in the NBA playoff race, they are two game two teams out of even making the playoffs. There's only what thirty two games, twenty nine games, thirty games, whatever it is remaining in the NBA schedule. I just I don't buy the Lakers as being able to put together any kind of legitimate team here. Am I crazy, Coop, for thinking? Anthony Davis is not being very intelligent if he desperately wants to go to the Lakers. He's thinking LeBron James is going to be 28, 29, and 30-year-old LeBron James for the next several years when I think it's much more likely that LeBron is going to be a lot worse of a player and trading all the good young talent. It seems like the Lakers are mortgaging their future after spending years to get into this position. Why would you mortgage your future just for Anthony Davis. And moreover, why would Anthony Davis want to go to a team that has to mortgage its future in order to get him? It just doesn't make sense to me.
4: I agree with you on that part. Uh, the The caveat is I think if he waits, like if they don't trade him before the deadline and they wait till the offseason, and I think that they'll realize that the Lakers can't. I, I, I disagree with the Celtics being the better spot for him because. We don't know that Kyrie Irving is going to stay. In fact, I think Kyrie Irving is going to leave. And then what do the what do the Celtics have? I mean, they've got like maybe a, a better you know draft picks, but they got Jason Tatum, who I guess is a little bit better than Kyle Kuzma than what, like Jalen Brown. We've got a lot of young players too that are good. So yeah, but you're having
3: to trade all those guys ex- in order ex- to get Anthony Davis. Well,
4: ex- exactly. And I think that's I think they're offering all those guys because they're trying to get it done before the deadline. But I think if they wait to the off season, they'll realize that, or the Pelicans will realize that they're not going to be getting offers as great as what the Lakers just sent them with all of those young players. And then they're going to have to take something a little bit less.
3: Yeah, but my point is, think about the way that LeBron, you may not like LeBron James, but every time LeBron James leaves, he leaves as an unrestricted free agent. He's not getting traded, right? Um, And so as a result, whatever team he's leaving, to me what I think happened is LeBron James saddled the Cleveland Cavaliers with a bunch of bad contracts, right? Because I don't think LeBron is that good of a GM because I think he's always looking only at one year at a time, which is fine, but there's no way that Tristan Thompson deserved the money that LeBron James got him in Cleveland, right? There's no way that J.R. Smith got the money that LeBron James got him. There's arguably no way, although somebody would have given it to him, that Kevin Love deserved what he got in Cleveland. I think LeBron James uh, surrounds the franchise with a bunch of bad contracts. And then rather than reap what he has sown, he goes ahead and he jumps to a new team that hasn't created the same kind of mistakes and errors uh, as a management team uh, that the team he's leaving has. So my point here on Anthony Davis and thinking like a uh, more intelligent soul is if you are really rationally talking to Anthony Davis, you're like, dude, you have a year and a half, even less than that, left in New Orleans. And then you can go anywhere you want in the NBA and sign without the team that signs you having to give up anything to sign you. If you truly hate playing in New Orleans, a year and a half is almost no time at all. There's a huge percentage of people out there listening to us right now that hate their jobs with every fiber of their being. They are going to go in and continue to work at those jobs for a year and a half or more because that's what a lot of people do with their jobs. You can't tell me that Anthony Davis's life is that bad as an NBA player in New Orleans. I've been to New Orleans. Pretty good town, right? And I would imagine it's an even better town when you're a young superstar making $20 million a year or whatever the heck he's making. Now, if you don't want to commit long range to play in New Orleans for a variety of reasons, I can certainly understand that. But you're going to be 26 or 27 and you can leave and you can go around and visit every NBA franchise with any kind of money That has it on the table and you can let them pitch you on what they're trying to do to build the championship team like LeBron has done. You know what LeBron didn't do Anthony Davis? He didn't demand that a team trade for him and give up all their good young assets so LeBron James could go play with a declining 34 or 35 year old player. LeBron needs Anthony Davis a lot more than Anthony Davis needs LeBron. And I think there's an element of star power here where Anthony Davis is looking at LeBron James all googly eyed as a 16 year old, as opposed to a grown ass man who's 25 and should be making smart decisions for his future. Right. Think about this for a minute. Anthony Davis is is being asked by LeBron to do something that LeBron himself would never do. right? I think LeBron is a lot smarter here than Anthony Davis is. When LeBron left the Cavs the first time, he didn't demand the Cavs trade him with a year and a half left on his contract to a team that had to trade all of their good young talent in order to get him. LeBron went out, did his decision, visited with every team, and ended up getting sold by Pat Riley on what he could create with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh if they all went to Miami together. They didn't make the Heat make a bunch of moves to get them that handicapped the franchise for years to come. When LeBron went back to Cleveland, he went back to Cleveland. He didn't demand that the Heat trade him in advance. He waited until his contract ran out, and then he was a complete free agent. And the same thing happened when LeBron went to L.A. again. We had this conversation. I said, look, if you're the Cavs and you're going to left get left holding the bag like the Cavs did, LeBron makes them trade Kyrie Irving, makes them sign all these long-range contracts that don't make sense. They make sense in the short term. They don't make sense in the long term. And then LeBron walks and the Cavs get nothing and they stink. And they may stink again for the next decade. Who knows? They have no really strong, good young talent to build around that you feel very good about. LeBron didn't do what he's asking Anthony Davis to do. A sophisticated guy who's representing Anthony Davis and not also representing LeBron James, by the way. Rich Paul represents both these guys. Where is his loyalty line? You couldn't be a lawyer and represent both these guys. right? If I were right, because lawyers have conflicts. Somebody would say, wait a minute. If you're advising here, You might be advising LeBron James to do something which doesn't fit the interests of Anthony Davis. You can't, as a lawyer, in a a case before the court, be representing both of these guys simultaneously. You'd be conflicted out. Now, agents are different. They can represent multiple people. But who do you think is more important right now to Rich Paul? LeBron James and his future? Or Anthony Davis and his future? If Anthony Davis were being really smart and he had really sophisticated representation, he would sit down with LeBron James and he'd say, wait a minute, LeBron, you've changed teams twice, right? LeBron said, yeah. Yeah, I went to uh, I went to Miami. Three teams, really, if you want to count Cleveland is coming back. You went to Miami? Yeah. You went to Cleveland? Yeah. And you went to LA, right? So you've changed teams three times. How come you never got traded? How come you never demanded a trade to the team you went to join? Really put LeBron on the spot there. LeBron's a smart guy in terms of thinking in short term and making sure his team is good in the meantime. LeBron's all about himself. He's all about creating value for himself. LeBron James never demanded that somebody trade him with a year and a half left on his contract. LeBron James never said, I refuse, I'm not going to resign with this team. LeBron James always kept all of his options open. And then he went to teams that weren't having to give up any assets at all to get him. Anthony Davis, if he had sophisticated representation or if he had really good advisors around him, would say, wait a minute. Why am I doing something that LeBron James himself would not do? Why am I demanding a trade Why am I refusing to serve out the entirety of my contract when if I just stay here for the rest of this year with the Pelicans and then stay one more year, I can be an unrestricted free agent at the age of 27 and see what every different NBA franchise can offer me. And oh, by the way, I can also get on the phone with other big-time NBA free agents and potentially pull my own LeBron. What is happening here is Anthony Davis is allowing himself to be a pawn in LeBron's game. Instead of recognizing that he's the king on the chessboard right now because his talent is still rising and therefore he should be surveying the entire board and making moves that dictate he is the king, he's allowing LeBron James to demonstrate that he LeBron is still the king And in his world, Anthony Davis is just a pawn that he can manipulate. Why is nobody telling Anthony Davis this? It's an easy question. Easy question no matter what you do for a living. Ask people why they want you to do something that they themselves have never done. Wait a minute, LeBron. You want me to go somewhere And demand a trade so this team gives up all their assets so that I go there. When if I really desperately wanted to be a Laker, I could just wait a year and a half and go join this team. With Kuzma, with Ball, with Ingram, all these good young players. And if you're still as good as you think you're going to be, LeBron, then maybe I'll play with you when you're 36 or 37. And be with the Lakers when all these other good young players have gotten better. Somebody needs to sit down Anthony Davis and point all this out over the next couple of days. I think he has gotten awful advice. And I think one reason he's gotten awful advice is because LeBron James and he have the same agent. And I think Anthony Davis got all googly-eyed over LeBron James liking him. And he's not being a sophisticated businessman. He's not saying to LeBron, wait a minute. You want me here in L.A. so badly because you know you only have a couple of years left. And then you're going to leave me with a team that isn't very good. You're going to Kevin Love me. You're going to Kyrie Irving me. And to his credit, Kyrie saw what LeBron was doing. That's why he got out of Cleveland. He saw that LeBron was trying to leave him an awful team and that the Cavs were being run not to maximize their long range potential, but to maximize LeBron James's short term interest. And I don't begrudge LeBron for making all these decisions that are the best for him, but everybody else needs to look out for themselves as aggressively as LeBron is looking out for himself. This is a sophisticated business decision, and I don't think Anthony Davis is behaving in a very intelligent or rational way as a sophisticated businessman. LeBron is, but Anthony Davis certainly isn't. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weeknights at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. plus. Joined now by my guy Mark Schlereth, and I'm going to hit him with this stat, which may blow his mind as we start off the show. Number of players with at least six titles in the four major professional sports leagues. Major League Baseball, 26. The NHL, 24. The NBA, 13. The NFL, 1. Uh, That's according to uh, Darren Revell. Does that blow your mind? Uh,
2: I mean, I, I think it points to, Clay, one thing about the National Football League, you know, longevity obviously is, is part of the deal. Um, but how hard it is, because it's the ultimate team game and how many players there are that you have to get on the same page uh, willing to sacrifice for one another and to do those things, I think it just shows points to how incredibly difficult it is. And I think it also you have to understand how the league is constructed. I mean, this league has been constructed through free agency and through the collective bargaining agreement to be a modern-day Robin Hood type of league where we steal from the rich to give to the poor, so we create parity. We want parity in this league, and that's the remarkable thing about the New England Patriots. They're in a league where parity is is preached, and the system is created to uh, to basically implement parity throughout the league and yet you can be a dominant football team for two decades, it's it's absolutely amazing to me.
3: It, it is pretty extraordinary. Um, and uh, in this game itself, I felt like, and I argued yesterday, that we got cheated because there's no way Drew Brees would have been as overwhelmed by what he saw defensively as Jared Goff was. Do you agree with me that Brees, if he had been out on that field, would have performed at least better than Goff in terms of knowing what was going on?
2: Well, yeah, in terms of knowing what was going on, but, you know, I always go back to, well, then handle your business. I mean, score in the red zone when you get the ball twice in the first two drives in the red zone, one on a turnover. I mean, put the ball in the end zone. Take care of your business. Drew Brees didn't actually have a very good game either, albeit against a very – I mean, a great Rams defense. There's no question about that. An exceptionally talented defense, but, but again – You know, I use, I'm one of those guys that you are where you are because of decisions you make had nothing to do with a ref making a bad call, had to do with you not handling your business. And we can sit and whine and cry, and we can take it to the highest court, and we can demand a replay and all that garbage. That's exactly what's wrong with our society in general. You know what? So many people know their rights. Too few people know their responsibilities. Take responsibility for where you are in life. You guys took a dump in your helmets, and that's why you didn't get to play in a Super Bowl. That's not the Rams' fault. That's your fault. So... You know, the what-ifs, I don't even care about the what-ifs. So handle your business. You'd have been in there. Maybe we'd have gotten a better game.
3: When you look at the way that uh, that the game played out, um, and uh, and in particular, Brady making a couple of late plays uh, in order, as it seems like has happened over and over and over again, for the Patriots to win, How many more years when you watch Brady do you think it's realistic for him to play? I mean, we talked about this yesterday on Lock It In. You were our guest, and we got the question, do you think he can play to 45? Do you think Brady potentially could play three, four more years?
2: Yeah, I do. I I think there's a couple of things to that. One, um, ever since he he has used, and, and every quarterback in the league, by the way, uses Tom House. Other than I think Aaron Rodgers is the only guy that doesn't use Tom House. Tom House, for those who don't know, is a pitching guru, a mechanics, a throwing mechanics guru, um, actually caught Hank Aaron's 715th homer in the bullpen. Oh, wow. He was in the bullpen for the Braves. So that's who Tom House is. And every, I mean, tons of major leaguers use him. My own son used him, but all the NFL guys use him and he's a mechanics guy. He creates velocity through, you know, through your feet, so kind of uh, hip rotation and foot torque creates velocity in the football, and so he keeps guys' arms healthy, he keeps them healthy, throwing mechanics, and Tom Brady right now at 41 has stolen the ball better than he did at 28. So from that standpoint, I don't see this, you know, this precipitous fall like we saw with Peyton Manning, who had the neck injury and the nerve damage, so I don't see him falling off like that. I think the other thing that leads me to believe he'll play that long is we watch him in the regular season and we watch him manage himself in games. Tom Brady just refuses to get hit in in the regular season. He's like, man, I will protect my body in the regular season, even if it means maybe we lose a game. I'm not taking one of the teeth. Come playoff times, I'll take one of the teeth. I'm tough enough to do it, but I I understand now What's important, and what's important is getting myself to January because in January we can make anything happen in the football team.
3: How long did it take you when a season ended in order to feel really good again? Like, so Brady now has won the Super Bowl. I'm sure that those endorphins and the excitement will eventually weigh off. And as you get older, uh, it, it becomes more challenging, I would imagine, to get yourself back to feeling really good. But I'm curious for you in the NFL as you aged, did you feel Feel a difference in how long it took you to get back to feeling right in the off season.
2: I mean, you have to. I'm a, a unique. I have a unique kind of perspective, or I'm a unique case study because you know I had 29 surgeries while I was playing. Yeah, it's crazy. So, yeah, I always felt like crap. Um, you know, it was varying levels of crap. So it, it was one of those situations where um, you know I was beat up coming into the season. Um, and, and that was part of the challenge. You know, one of the reasons that I was able to play for as long as I played is because I found the challenge within the game. Like, anybody can play the game when they feel good. Like, how, how good can I be when I'm injured, when I feel like crap, when, like, there is no, there is no way that I should be playing in this game. When there are games I've played in where I literally couldn't walk on Saturday and, and played an entire game on Sunday and whipped ass. So, I mean, you know, that was a, a game within a game, a challenge, but it certainly takes its toll. The thing to me that's more impressive is the mental aspect of it. You, you know, one, and you and I have talked about this, not stated by your success, yeah. but your willingness to train. Like, I, like, we'd all play on Sunday if it was just about showing up on Sunday and playing. It's about going through the meetings. It's about the mental preparation. It's about working out on Monday through Saturday. Uh, that's where you lose kind of your desire as you get older. You're like, man, my body doesn't want to do this anymore. I'm tired mentally, physically. And the fact that he continues to push himself and, and to stay that motivated, that's the thing that I find fascinating more than anything else.
3: Would you trade for Nick Foles? There's the report now, uh, if you needed a quarterback, there's a report that the uh, Eagles are going to franchise Nick Foles to allow them to trade his rights to someone else uh, in the NFL. Would you buy in right now to Nick Foles, who is, I think, going to be probably the number one free uh, agent-ish? I know he might be franchised, but the number one available player on the market in this offseason will be Foles.
2: I think it's an interesting question because we've seen the really good Nick Foles, we've seen the really bad Nick Foles, and we've seen the Nick Foles in between. And you have to ask yourself, which one is the real Nick Foles? And I think probably somewhere in the middle. Um, I think the thing that you have to understand more than anything else when it comes to the Philadelphia Eagles is, one, um, that system fits Nick Foles. It fits his eye. It fits his feel for the game. And Doug Peterson does a great job of calling plays that, that Nick Foles feels comfortable in. I think the other thing that you have to understand is, when healthy, the Philadelphia Eagles are probably one of, if not the best offensive line in all of football. So Nick Foles is protected. Nick Foles feels comfortable. Like, you know, it's it's kind of the Denver Broncos chasing Case Keenum last year in free agency. They said, we got our quarterback. This is going to be great. And Case Keenum was great in Minnesota, but he had, you know, he had what Eric Mangini refers to as force multipliers. He had a couple force multipliers at the receiver position. He had a couple of force multipliers in the backfield. He had a force multiplier at the tight end position. And so he wasn't required to elevate everybody else around him. The other people elevated his play, not the other way around. And I think that if you put Nick Foles kind of in the situation where If Case Keenum went to in Denver where he's not protected, they don't have a great offensive line. They don't have a difference maker at tight end. Their receivers are getting older. I think you see the Nick Foles – I think you see more of the, the bottom end of Nick Foles, not what we've seen the last two playoff
3: runs. Last question for you. We've seen only one quarterback, and it's a guy you know a little bit, John Elway, lose his first Super Bowl and come back and win another Super Bowl. Uh, in the last 40 years of the NFL. In other words, it's hard to get to the Super Bowl. For quarterbacks who lose, it's almost impossible for them so far in the last 40 years to lose their first Super Bowl, come back, and win one later. Do you think Jared Goff will one day win a Super Bowl?
2: Interesting question. And and I think based based on the team they have around him right now, what they've built, the head coach, you know, it's funny, that all of a sudden, you know, Sean McVay went from you know this wonder kid to uh, you know, oh, he can't coach. He got completely out coached. What he said in his press conference after the game will carry so much weight within that locker room. When he just kind of falls on the sword and says, "Man, I got out coached," um, guys respect that. They call him, and I have talked to Jerry Goff about it, and several other of his team, uh, several other of the players on the Rams. He's the 54th guy on our roster. And when your coach will jump on the hand grenade and and show that kind of maturity um, and own the responsibility for getting out coach, which he did, there is no question. I think they'll learn from this. I think you'll see them become a team that doesn't base almost entirely out of 11 personnel where they can switch some things up when things aren't working because when they play with the lead, they've been unstoppable but when they've had their struggles in Chicago and several other places they haven't been able to get out of that funk so I think you're going to see this be the the uh, actuator that creates um, a little bit better personnel variations and a little bit more depth of offense and I think you're going to see that out of Sean McVay so I will say yeah I do believe that eventually he'll get back there
3: and win one. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific.
0: people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto, do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit them at O'ReillyAuto.com 2Pros. That's O'ReillyAuto.com 2Pros.
4: From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment,
2: oh my god, We've summoned something from this board.
4: This is Uncanny USA.
3: He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed.
4: Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.
1: It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash.
3: Interesting uh, story that I think is out there that points out one of our big hypocrisies in the world of sports. Julian Edelman wins the NFL Super Bowl MVP award, and he went to Disney World yesterday with Tom Brady. They had pictures of him out having a great time, uh, as is commonplace for whoever wins the Super Bowl MVP. And Julian Edelman, I think, beyond a shadow of a doubt, deserved Super Bowl MVP. 10 catches, 140 yards. The rest of the New England Patriots wide receiving core combined for two catches for 14 yards. And both those catches were by Corderell Patterson. You heard that right, by the way. Not a lot of discussion about it. But Julian Edelman got 10 catches for 140 yards. The rest of the New England Patriot wide receiving core outside of Julian Edelman had two catches for 14 yards, both by Corderell Patterson. All right, That kind of puts into perspective how few of weapons Tom Brady had in the wide receiving uh, category. Now, Gronk had several catches, nearly 90 yards receiving uh, as well, but he's a tight end. So Julian Edelman wins the NFL Super Bowl MVP. And I don't think anybody out there really strongly disagreed with that idea. Brady was just okay. Edelman was the best offensive weapon. Nobody defensively played out of their mind. Maybe Stephon Gilmore you could point to at uh, corner. Other than that, I don't really think there was anybody, Hightower, maybe you point to on the Patriot uh, Patriot defense, that was really in the mix to be a uh, MVP. Think about the way we treat Julian Edelman, who missed the first four games of this season for a PED violation. He was using a performance-enhancing drug with the way baseball treats its guys who are... Found to have used performance enhancing drugs. Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens are two of the greatest Major League Baseball players of all time. Maybe the best hitter and the best pitcher of their eras. It's indisputable that their overall achievements were increased based on the use of performance enhancing drugs. But it's also indisputable that even before the rise of performance enhancing drugs, both Bonds and Clemens would have been indisputable first ballot Hall of Famers. This is, you can go look at their records before they ever use PEDS, and there's no doubt. Now, once they started using performance-enhancing drugs, they extended and increased their overall ability in a way that shouldn't have been possible based on what we know about the limitations of the human body in past years. Right? Right? Yet, baseball Hall of Fame writers are up in arms over the idea that either of these guys could ever go into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Now, maybe they're eventually going to get in, but it's become a huge debate in baseball, and Hall of Fame uh, voters are still outraged over the Bonds and the Clemens of the world. And I'm just using Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens as stand ins for the steroid era in baseball in general, okay? Compare that with the number of people who said, man, is Julian Edelman a Hall of Famer in the wake of his performance in the Super Bowl and how few people at all even mention the idea of Julian Edelman using and having a four-game suspension for peds. Why in football... Do we just immediately turn the page and not even blink at the idea that a guy could be suspended for performance-enhancing drugs and it has almost no impact on his long-range legacy and no one even mentions the idea when there's a discussion about whether a guy should be a Hall of Famer. Now, you can think it's crazy that Julian Edelman is being discussed as a Hall of Fame-caliber player. You can consider it to be a clear example of how we're all prisoners of the moment in sports, that's certainly a valid argument. But how intriguing is it that almost no one even brings up that he got suspended to start this year for performance-enhancing drugs and compare that with how we respond when guys get caught using performance-enhancing drugs in baseball? In baseball, it's an eternal stain that will follow you for the rest of your career and be a first paragraph mentioned in your eventual obituary. It's something that can keep you out of the Hall of Fame forever, even if you otherwise would 1 billion percent be a first ballot Hall of Famer. And I'm using Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens as the examples of that a a fielder and a pitcher two different types of baseball player yet julian edelman in the very same year he gets popped for performance enhancing drugs wins the mvp of the super bowl and drives off not in a hyundai who knows what he drove off in down to disney world and he spent the day pretending to be a jedi Is it just that we look at football players and simply believe they are all using peds? We look at them physically and say, my God, there's no way you can be that big, that strong, and that fast and not be doing something outside the bounds of the rules. Is it because football players wear helmets and we don't see their faces? Why, as a sporting society, do we demand that Roger Clemens testify before Congress about whether or not he ever used performance-enhancing drugs? And Julian Edelman gets to go to Disney World and become the Super Bowl MVP, and almost no one even blinks. Everybody's like, okay, yeah, that's sure, that's fine. I, I, don't, I don't know that there's an easy answer. This may be a discussion that I want to carry over to tomorrow's show and open up the phone lines and take some calls on this. I think it's an unbelievable hypocrisy the way we hold baseball players to the standard of, man, you better never even think about using a performance-enhancing drug and playing baseball. And for the NFL... We almost immediately forget. I bet a lot of you out there right now listening to me, unless you're big-time fantasy football players or you're huge New England Patriot fans, had even forgotten that Julian Edelman was suspended for PEDS before the season started and missed the first four games. It's just you don't even care. It's a blip on the radar screen. Yet if this happened in baseball, it would be seismic. Why do we treat the two sports so differently? Why is Julian Edelman's ped use a non story and Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds using peds, using steroids, whatever they used, is an unmissable, unmistakable, huge red flag on their overall resumes? Not trying to give you an answer of why that is, because I think it's indisputable that this is true, that we have a total double standard in the way we respond, both as media and as sports fans, to these stories. Why is it that baseball is held to such a different standard than football? And why is it that baseball players are held to an entirely different standard than football players? I don't know that it's rational. Or that it makes any sense at all. I actually want to have a big discussion about this tomorrow. Why do we totally give Julian Edelman a pass? He goes down to Disney World, pretends to be a Jedi. No one cares. And by the way, it's not just Julian Edelman. I'm not trying to pick on him. There are tons of guys who've been hit for ped suspensions in the NFL. And most of them, you just shrug your shoulders and you don't even care. Whereas when a baseball player gets hit with a ped suspension now or certainly historically has been proven, Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, Roger Clemens, Barry Bonds, the outrage is years long and essentially never-ending in baseball. In football, it barely even merits a mention. And I just thought of it when I see Julian Edelman yesterday, there was a picture of him out, dressed up as a Jedi alongside a Tom Brady at... Disney World, and everybody's like, oh, look how cool this is. I'm like, can you imagine if Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, the day after they won at a high level, their MVP awards, had gone to Disney World and dressed up as Jedis, what people would have said in those swollen bodies they have standing there with their lightsabers? People would have been out of their minds talking about it. And yet in football, it barely registers. I'm curious why that is. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app. Oh, oh, oh,
2: O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts.
4: From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought...